on this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at sales automation, post-COVID lead generation trends, Amazon's hire-to-fire strategy, and much, much more. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder of Sell.org. Join him, the host of this show, sales legend, Victor Antonio. How's it going, Victor? Man, it is going real good, Will. I told you I was on this two-month existential, I don't know what I want to do with myself journey. I'm back. June 1st, I just said, let's get going. So uh, new content coming out. And so I think people will be glad because I, I keep getting emails like, uh, what happened? Did you fall off the map? And I'm like, I'll be back, I'll be back. I am back officially now, so it's gonna be back. What's up with you? Not much, just on that, Victor. Is there anything you want to tease the audience? Or are we keeping it a secret until you launch some new things? Yeah, I mean, well, two things. I, w I want to highlight the beginning of the, uh, the show. So I want to highlight that the Outbound Conference is coming up in two weeks. So go to outboundconference.com. The list of speakers, incredible. And also I want to highlight, because Will is just too modest to highlight himself, the Grow Conference sponsored by HubSpot is June 8th, I believe, which is probably next week. Next Tuesday. So UK time, I think it's 1030 I'll be doing an AMA, Ask Me Anything, about podcasting, um, whether HubSpot like this or not. I'll be doing also Ask Me Any Questions. They'll be moderating them, I'm sure, but anything to do with uh, sales, podcasting, business, uh, content marketing, anything like that, I will answer your questions, whether it's from a small business perspective or uh, trying to scale your content marketing and podcast efforts. I'll do my best to help you out. So yeah, you can find that over at salesman.org forward slash grow or just search HubSpot Grow and get signed up to it. Now, he, he doesn't want to put the extra flavor on top of it, so I'll put the extra flavor on it for him. So you have uh, Dumas on, also yeah, Entrepreneur on Fire. Mm -hmm. I forgot, is it John Lee Dumas? Correct. So he's he's part of the, the four, because there's four speakers, right? So who are the other three speakers? I have no idea. Okay, well, I don't, I don't no idea. I'll, I'll pull okay. up the page now. We'll do we'll do yeah. a promotion while we've got while we're down yeah, the track. Yeah, let's do that because by the way, John Lee Dumas, uh, who has a podcast called Entrepreneurs on Fire, uh, is big, and the fact that Will and him are next to each other, holy buckets! Rule of association kicks in. Uh, he should be glad to be on stage with you. That's what I think, Will. Dude, I, so I've not had a chance to get uh, John on a call yet, but I literally followed a John Lee Dumas Entrepreneurs. It's eofire.com blog post to set up our podcast. As in, do this, install this plugin, add this. In fact, I might have even talked about this before. The pricing for sponsoring uh, the Salesman podcast and the other podcast that we do over Salesman.org, I just copied from John Lee Dumas. That's no, right. Sh no Shout right. up. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. We, by the way, no shame in his game. John Lee Dumas, you've been copied. That is the highest form of flattery. It just, from it was my, just John, John, my it was British like, friend. We recommend within these ranges. Okay, well, that's now the price for the podcast for sponsoring the show for the next six years. But to answer your question, there's, well, there's, there's a ton of speakers and there's different events going on within the. Okay. Um, I don't know how much I can share because it's. I don't know. Just a little bit. Just got a couple other speakers that you think are might be interesting but, on that but list. Beyond the, the speakers, so there's Scott Galloway, he's a professor and author, uh, co-host over at Pivot. There's a chief customer officer over at HubSpot. Who else do you have? Kip. He is the CMO over at HubSpot as well. Um, head of uh, startup marketing over at AWS. Director of channel sales over at Google. MyFace, which is on the Grow event page, is slowly working its way down the page. It started off right at the top of all the speakers, and now it's somewhere in the middle. I'm happy in the middle of all, all these legends are also presenting at the event. But where I was going with that, Victor, I'm not sure how much I can say, but they've built HubSpot. I've built a platform to do this event on. And the platform, when you sign up and you register, and you get there on the day, 
is really cool for a live event. So I won't say too much because I, I don't know how I, I don't know how much they're putting that out in the marketing and stuff. But if you are doing, if you listen to this and you're in marketing, if you listen to this and you are in sales, but live events was your bread and butter pre-COVID, it's probably worth getting signed up to the HubSpot Grow event and see how they're doing things because they're clearly, it's the first revision of it, but this is clearly the future of online events and how they're going to be set up. Multiple tracks, uh, places to mingle. It's not just some crappy Zoom call, which you know, a lot of online events are, right? A lot of them are just pre-recorded, just speaker after speaker after speaker. They've gone above and beyond with this. So it's an interesting what, what is case the, uh, I, I want to ask, what's the email? We'll put the email link in the uh, in the show notes, but off, off the top of your head, you got the link right there. I don't have it. For the event? Yes. Uh, just go to salesman.org forward slash grow or hubspot.com forward slash grow dash events. Perfect. Uh, I think it's worth it, man. And like I said, I, there's some great speakers on there, a lot of great content, but I like your tease, which is that if you want to see what the future of online mm -hmm. virtual conferences looks like, this is going to be it. I, I'm, I'm sure HubSpot would rather be talking about the speakers. There's some great speakers. It's going to be a good event. But if you've got any interest in events, industry events moving forward, HubSpot are leading the way with this. This is you, you should just tune in for that. Go suck as much as you can from the platform. Um, and if you're a marketer, try and copy it the best you can, depending on your mm -hmm. budget. But it, it's going yeah. to absolutely be killer from that perspective. The only deficiency I saw was that maybe this is me. It's personal. I wasn't invited to speak. Um, That's the only I'm, I'm sure I next time saw. around, Victor, that won't be. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, let's jump into this, Will. Let's jump in. Let me pull up the doc. Okay, so we're going to jump into some sales news. So this is an article from HBR, um, HarvardBusinessReview.org, and it's entitled, What's Your Sales Automation Strategy? Now, it's quite a long article. It's quite a decent one. We'll link it in the show notes of this episode over at thisweekinsales.com. But there's a couple of things that I wanted to pull out and I wanted to quiz you on, Victor, get your thoughts. Mm. So quoting from the article itself, a recent McKinsey study shows that there are more than 30% that more than 30 of sales activities can be automated to improve efficiency and effectiveness. Victor, can we automate 30% of the sales process? Is that is that a fair uh, kind of mm. study data uh, point from McKinsey? I, I think, well, first of all, it's a loaded question because I have to know what type of company and what type of process and systems they have. But I would say yes. That would be my short answer. Uh, because one of the things I talked about in the book, the Sales X Machina book, when people were talking about they're going to be AI'd out, is that I said, well, that's the wrong way of looking at it. We have to look at all the tasks associated with getting something done, right? Break that down to little boxes and then begin to automate wherever you can. So I think there's a lot of it that can be automated. Uh, a simple one would be, for example, instead of emailing a contract, you use DocuSign, right? Just something small. It might save like, you know, a couple of minutes here and there, but I'm sure there's places where you can automate a lot of stuff. And I think there's automation, let's buy a product, but there's also automation happening within the platform as well, because a lot of these CRMs are starting to kind of expand their ecosystem. So more stuff is actually in the system, like autofill, you know, forms or whatever it may be, pulling in information. So I think, yes. What do you think? It's You're right. It's a, I don't know if it's a loaded or like leading mm -hmm. question of, mm -hmm. If you wanted to automate 30% of the sales process, you probably could. Should you automate 30% of the sales mm. process? That's, that's a completely different question. Is it more effective? It might be more cost effective. Is it more efficient, including uh, you know the price of salaries and all that kind of stuff? Is it more efficient overall by the time you've got your sales stack and so on to manage it and all that kind of stuff on top? 
Who knows is the answer. We'll, we'll find out in 10 years from now because I'm seeing a lot of, I don't know if you see this with your customers and clients and the, the people you consult with, but I've seen a bit of a divergence at the moment between individuals, both individuals and brands who are going all in on automation, on reducing headcount, on leveraging content marketing more so than sales in the traditional sales um, kind of uh, in the traditional position where sales typically would do outreach and push content and influence into the marketplace, I'm seeing divergence one side and then the other side going back to cold calling. I interviewed Jared Glant over at, uh, from Grant Cardone Enterprises, and he was saying a big initiative that they've got over there at the moment is they've got these massive email lists uh, with associated phone numbers and names. They're just cold calling everyone. They're just, hey, what, what's going on? What, what, what do you need? What can I help you with right now? What, what's your issue? Um, so I'm seeing massive divergence in the marketplace between going back to things that perhaps people are forgetting slightly in the market and then pushing towards what people think or assume is going to be the future. Mm -hmm. There's a big weird bit in the middle where no one's having any success. So yeah, so you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Are you, no, I love, I, love, I, love, I love the way you split that up. I love sure. the, you're so right on the marketing side. On the marketing side, you're really starting to see more automation. Uh, and then I think we're going to get back to the we're, we've over emailed people. And as Jared Glant over at Grant Cardone's place says, you know, let's pick up the phone and call because now it's almost like before. Remember, you used to get a lot of mail. Then you stopped getting mail. And you got a bunch of emails. Now everybody gets a lot of emails. So now you start receiving more mail. And it's, it's, it's always cyclic, uh, Victor. Like, yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not having to dig at you here, but very mm. literally you've been on the planet longer than me. Right. Is is that was a polite way for it, wasn't it? I was very careful with my words. I didn't just call yeah, you an old bastard. Yeah, yeah. I could have done, but I didn't. Go ahead. Have you go seen? Ahead. You know, genuinely now being within yeah. the business mm. side, be, you've been in business long enough to see mm. uh, kind of loops of behaviour. Have you seen those loops of behaviour of mail not being useful, mail direct mail being useful, not being useful, being useful? I I don't think I can. No, I mean I've seen it. I've seen it exercise, but what, what I think is happening is that, let's say the old school, I was having this conversation with Mark Hunter uh, earlier this morning, we we're talking about the Outbound Conference, and we were talking about how the Outbound Conference is interesting because you got two extremes showing up on stage, all the speakers we have. You have baby boomers and then you have millennials and everybody everybody in between. And I said, what, what, the, what the baby boomers need to understand is that the language of selling has changed. The approaches in the channel and how we outreach program, you know, how we outreach clients or potential clients has changed. And but the, what the boomers, I mean, what the millennials can learn from from the older guys is that, look, the art of conversation is still there. The art of meeting somebody, having the conversation, you know, moving them along, gaining trust, all that still matters. And so I don't think any of that's really changed. But I do see that the new channels of communication like you know i think we talked about it last week where we talked about was what was the number one way of outreaching do you remember you had to, we had the stat yeah, last email. week was it millennials email? want to be emailed email Un unequivocally the, they might want a phone right. call later on in the sales process but right. they don't want to be pestered and we'll talk about this in culture corner later on no. but they don't want to be pestered on the phone they want an email they want some value and then they want mm. to decide how and when to engage with salespeople. You know, you just said something interesting. Again, rare, but it happens. So <laughs> if you, <laughs> so, but when you highlight something, joking aside, you highlight something that's interesting that if we were to ask a, we'll take baby boomers, just go at extremes. You know, what's your sales process? How do you like to be, you know, you know, uh, communicated with? How, what channel? And then you do the same thing for millennials. What would be interesting to note is what is that sequence? Like maybe a boomer would like a phone call first 
and then follow up with text message or emails. And then millennials might be opposite. That might be an interesting study to actually do, right? Yeah. On the different problem generations. Problem Victor, though, it depends. Because hmm. a goal, you cold calling me, Grant Cardone hmm. cold calling me, someone hmm. like that who is skilled at that, because it's a science and an art, right? There's, Correct. By an e with A-B testing over email, you're more likely to get data out the back of it. When you cold call someone, there's so many variables that are very difficult. The the emotional state of the person in that very moment, what you've caught them in the midst of, you'd have to do a million calls with one specific industry, with one specific product, with one specific person doing the calls, who then is in the same state of mind every time they do the call. You know, they'd have to be a master of their own emotional intelligence to get real data out of the back of that. So that's that's the problem with all of this. Of if we were to study uh, sequences and cadences, the answer is a lot of the time it just depends. I think it'd be very difficult you know. to get legitimately. Uh, you know, you look at well, ring I, DNA. You look at all right. these companies that phone burner that do automated calls and, and quick dials mm -hmm. and stuff. They've all got the data on mm -hmm. this. But to actually pull out, have a statistician statistician go through it, I'm confident that a lot of data points in uh, articles, in quotes, in, in all these, in, in reports, a statistician would just tear a lot of it to shreds. Right. I, I, I like what you said because you rarely hear this, that it is the state of the person receiving the call that ultimately determines how that call will be received. You can try, you can use the same script that's worked a hundred times, but if the person's had a bad day or going through some issues right now, it's not going to work. And, and I think we have to consider that. So it is almost like a black box sometimes. We don't know. And the thing is, with an email, it's more, I don't want to say agnostic, but it's its its less emotional. And now it's on their time when they choose to read it, as opposed to interrupting them with a cold call. Yep. Good point. And, and, and that's the issue, right? This is the, this yep. is the bugbear I have with cold calls. Um, there's still this open bounty. It's going to get hit soon, I'm sure, because my number's mm -hmm. been, I've had to give it out a bunch, of things, a bunch of times recently for different events and stuff I'm doing. But if you cold call my phone, and I pick up and answer it like a sucker, I'll give you $1,000, right? This has been a bounty since I started the Sales and Podcast six years ago. Now, I use this phone I use, I use this phone for business, right? Um, I don't want to say too much because you'll be able to suss out how to get the number. But for example, HubSpot, a big part of us at Sales.org, they've got my number. Someone at HubSpot could easily you know, pass it on to a salesperson and go halves on the, on the, on the bounty if they chose to. Uh, but I'd probably know it's come from them. But you just can't get hold of me. It doesn't matter whether my emotional state, it doesn't matter whether you are an amazing cold caller. Millennials like me just don't give out the numbers. We don't I have an office desk. It's physically not possible to get hold of me. So, But even, even as a boomer, even as a boomer, I don't like answering my phone. Unless there's a caller ID and I recognize the ID, I'm not going to answer the phone. So to your point, it doesn't matter how good you are. The mm -hmm. key is getting somebody on the phone, which is really hard. Yep. Very hard. So there we go. Yep. We'll follow up with some more automation here, Victor. Well, you uh, did you want to comment on this? Because uh, there was a second part to this. I don't know if you want to comment on that. I can ask you about it. So the article entitled, uh, What's Your Sales Automation Strategy? Um, as we just discussed, show, the McKinsey report shows that 30% of sales activities can be automated. We touched on mm -hmm. whether it's useful or not. <laughs> Long, uh, who knows is the answer. But brands, companies, VPs, directors, salespeople have reported back that a lack of awareness of automation's potential, inadequate tracking of the automation, uh, return on investment concerns, and delayed delivery challenges or hindrances to the adoption of automation. Is there anything you'd add to that, Victor? Or is there any one of those points that you think is the 
is the biggest hindrance to automation sweeping across the sales industry? I don't know. That's, I, I, that's why I wanted to make sure you, you, you commented on that because those are four good points. Lack of awareness of automation's potential, one. Inadequate tracking, yes. Return on investment concerns, definitely. And this is a big one, delayed delivery challenges. In other words, people say they can do certain things and they get in there, look at your data, so maybe we couldn't do it. Or you know what I mean? So I think these are genuine concerns, but I, I would agree with that list. Yeah. And, and Rare, follow on from each other, right? If you can't track it, how can you prove return on investment? And then everything's then delayed as to the setup and everything else because you're going, hey, we implemented this. There's three stages. You promised me X, Y, Z in stage one, and we've not had anything in return. So what's going on here? So I guess they trickle down from themselves. Yeah. So continuing on automation. So I found this uh, article here says automated sales commissions platform SPIF secures a $46 million round of funding. It's an article by Paul Sawyers over at VentureBeat.com. Uh, let me read this. Uh, companies connect SPIF. That's the name of the company, SPIF. I believe SPIF stands for special incentive. I think that's where it came from. I think. Uh, so companies connect SPIF, the company, to their CRM platform or business intelligence tool or accounting and payment system to automatically glean real-time sales data. Uh, while it's pre-built that you can bolt it into Salesforce and other CRMs, again, uh, their philosophy is how do we get make sure people are getting paid properly? And we don't usually talk about, we sometimes we talk about compensation plans, Will, sometimes, but we hardly touch on SPIFs. What do you think of this company, this software company named SPIF? And this whole idea of tracking SPIFs, creating SPIFs within the CRM platform. Remind me what a SPIF is versus a compensation plan. I'm slightly confused of the difference. Okay, so uh, a compensation plan, for example, is uh, let's say I pay your base salary, right? Yep. If you're 50% of quota, I give you this percent. If you're 70% of quota, this. So, so that's a percentage of quota, that's a commission. Let's call that a commission. Mm -hmm. A special incentive is used almost like a sniper. There's something you want, it's, it's almost you want something the salesperson to focus in on. So we used to use SPIFs when, for example, we would launch a new product. As a product manager at one time, I had a software product. I needed salespeople to pay attention and sell my product. But they're like, nah, I'm already good with what I'm selling. I don't want to learn something new. I said, hey, what if you bring in a new client and for any new client that buys at least this much revenue, I'll give you a $10,000 bonus. And salespeople are like, what? Okay. And that's how you would grab. So those are special incentives. And there's so many ways you can kind of create special incentives, but that's what it is. Got it. Understand. And I'm on, I, I was laughing as you said that because I've had the opposite from product managers of they go, hey, Will, how about you help me out with this, this, and this? And, and then I would interrupt them and go, I do not care. I'm just here for the commission. I'm going to just <laughs> plod along. I'm going to get my commission. I'm going to go home. Goodbye. That's Thank right. you for your uh, kind consideration and your spiff, uh, but I'm not interested. So but if it's not off me 10 grand, that might be a different conversation. Usually it would be like, hey, sell 20 of these and we'll give you some gift cards to some bullshit thing we're never going to go to. Get us yeah. gift cards to a steakhouse. Um, so yeah, so, so <laughs> we had, spiffs yeah, spiffs. were better than the spiffs I've been offered. And we would also uh, get the vice president of sales. So I was a product manager. I would talk to the vice president of sales. Look, we're trying to lock because they knew that we had to start selling product, new products, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of increase the portfolio. And the sales, the, the VP of sales would invite us product managers to their sales meeting. We would explain the product. We would explain the SPIF program. And the actual sales uh, VP would actually put that into their compensation plan. Sure. And they were actually asked about it because keep in mind, the C-level suite, the C-suite people are always asking the VP of sales, why aren't you selling the new products? 
And so that's kind of how it, that was the virtuous cycle of getting people to sell. But a spiff is a great way to really focus people. It's, it's moving the carrot around here. Focus here, focus here. It's like kids, right? Can't focus right here. And so well, I think it's interesting that software the whole screen. of the audience there, Victor. Was that? <laughs> I'm a sophisticated well, modern B2B sales professional and you're like the child with the carrot just dangle it in front of them this is how management think of us is it is that is that how it goes that's you exactly that's exactly how I think Product look manager, we're all suckers are just there you see us once a quarter at some bullshit meeting that you put together you dangle in this carrot <laughs> then you go off and have your, your strippers and champagne lunch afterwards we're all, we're all sat there in a sweaty meeting listening to some idiot present and train us on some nonsense that we don't need. You guys are all <laughs> having fun. Is that is that the gap here between uh, lowly uh, salesperson and, and product manager? Freaking elevator. I don't even know how to answer that one. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. From the perspective of mm. a salesperson, I'm in a routine. I've been working six months in medical devices to sell an operating room I don't, I don't, unless it's 10 grand you're going to give me, I don't care about the, all the other incentives. So if there's a system to start to automate some of this. And as a small business owner, I understand this far better now than I did in sales of, you know, there's, there's an ecosystem, right? We want to retire some products because of operating costs, because of servicing costs. We need in, to incentivize customers to buy X, Y, Z because on the profit and loss, on, on everything else, it makes a lot more sense than what you're selling them right now, even if it is easier for you to sell them. But the whole business is based on the back on the back of us moving in this direction or that direction. Um, I agree. So yeah. I, I, why I why does this need to be automated though? Why? Well, why can't here's why. I, no, no, it has to be. It, this I think they understand. This is for a large B two B type company. So the telecom company I worked with, I think we had. Uh, I don't think I'm exaggerating, like 30,000 SKUs, right? Sure. And then if you read the last, let me read the last part here. This software can also support any number of commission structures because there's so many different structures you can provide for so many different salespeople if you have so many different territories. And remember, we're talking about salespeople. We also talk about contractors, agents, distributors, so forth and so on. But on top of that, this is the part that got me, including deal splits. Now, deal splits was big. And by the way, they also had deal split ramps and team roll-ups. But let me focus on deal splits. Let's say you, you're in territory one, I'm in territory two. You found a deal that's in my territory. Now, you just can't go in and sell in my territory. But if you bring it to my attention, to the VP's attention, we will say, well, wait a minute, let's do a deal split. And then you would want to work with me to help me close the deal because you got a percentage revenue. Now, multiply that by a sales force of 500 with 30,000 SKUs and so many different territory mixes. That's why I think this software is very powerful. Makes sense. I guess if it, yeah. if it can integrate with uh, like inventory management and it's talking about QuickBooks here. So if it can integrate with accounting and you can you can nudge things one way or another from that perspective, that makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. It, it's, a, it's a fascinating tool. I, I love it. And again, leave us your feedback on thisweekinsales.com. Let us know what you think. And let us know also, what are you using to maybe manage some of your commission structures? That'd be great to know. It'd be interesting. I might, we should do this as a, a post on This Week in Sales. I'll, I'll build it and we'll link to it next week. I'll put it in the notes next week. It'd be interesting to know people's, what it's a cliche term right now, but sales stack. Mm. It would be interesting mm -hmm. to know for the average listener of the show, because there's thousands and thousands of people listening to it right now, mm -hmm. what, what software you're using? Because different vendors have done studies like this, and of course, they find what they want to find. 
But from a uh, kind of venture neutral perspective, it'd be interesting for us to see this data. And then perhaps a follow-up kind of questionnaire of what is useful and what isn't. Because we bang yeah. on about stuff all week, uh, every week on This Week in Sales. It'd be good to have a uh, kind of our mm. own data points, even if it's 50 people, 100 people to go off so that we yeah. can change our content based on that perhaps. And then we can also, maybe it'll change our opinions on a few things as well. Could, could. Maybe we should have a, you know, the question of the week. You know what I mean? And get people to respond to that simple question. Uh, we should talk about that. Because in this case, we could say, what, I guess, commission structure software yep. do you use to manage commission? That'd be a good question of the week. All right. Cool. Okay, so next article. This is from Forbes.com. And if it's okay with you, video, we'll stew on this for a little bit. Because I think there's loads of interesting data points here. The article is entitled, Lead Generation Trends Sales Leaders should know. Now, I don't think there's anything uh, mind-bending in here, but it's good to have data on what assumptions that me and you have made over the past uh, kind of six months or so, kind of as we come out of the, the the COVID era, right? So the first bit of data here, sales emails have now effectively doubled from, the amount of sales emails have effectively doubled from the pre-pandemic baseline. Um, is, that un is that surprising, Victor? No. Okay. Short answer, no. <laughs> sales calls too have trended up. Call events were up 72% and 65% in March and April, respectively, compared to pre-pandemic pre baselines. Victor, is no. that surprising? No. In 2021, we find spending up to a staggering... We find... Oh, I think this is ad spend. Ad spend is up a staggering 38% in March and April, year over year, uptick is 52%. Is it, un is it unreasonable that we're spending more money on ads, Victor? No, as soon as you added ad spending, I thought just spending was up. I go, how could it be up? It should be down. But if it's on ads, I agree. However, not surprising. However, Victor, this oh, no, is the, the this is the turning the point. This is our you know, <laughs> three or four part story um, kind of yeah. uh, structure you get, here. You get the you get the head bobbing. You hit it. You get the momentum going one way. You're about to switch directions. Is that what you're saying? I'm you're gonna, about to I'm go gonna switch on everyone. However, oh. despite buyers' preference for digital sales interactions. 70 to 80% of respondents to McKinsey's research survey preferred face-to-face. -face. And all of this increased digital activity, emails, ads, all this good stuff, has not led to increased sales. Now, I don't know. I'm going to question this one a little bit. Might give a little resistance, a little pushback, because we were, we've highlighted other studies not McKinsey, obviously, but I think it was Forrester or Gartner that talked about, if I remember correctly, when it comes to finding new vendors, this is where you kind of, again, you can thin slice this thing any way you want. When it comes to finding new vendors, I think 60%, if not more, wanted to be contacted via virtual channels. How do we put that into the mix here? Well, let me continue. This might add a little okay. bit more, uh, okay. paint the picture a little okay. bit further. HubSpot data indicates, our friends over at HubSpot, mm -hmm. indicates closed one deals cratered <clears throat> early with uncertainty surrounding the onset of the pandemic. It was down 9% in April of last year. Mm -hmm. We were underwater up to 1% negative over the next 11 months. And things have finally reversed in March, popping up 13% above the pandemic baseline. So is it just a case of my incredible visualization last week of there's a pipe of cash COVID has mm -hmm. got its claws around the cash and now it's mm -hmm. released about to release the it. cash to, to flow into the marketplace. Is the cash, I guess this is the way of putting it, is the cash going in the pipe finite? 
And when it's let go, there's only there's, there's X amount. And so more calls, more sales, uh, messaging, more prospecting, more knocking on doors, whatever it is, it's not going to generate more. Hmm. It's only going to increase your chances of grabbing what is already there. Is that how That's we good should way be looking at it? I, I think it's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I remember last year, you know, China came out of the pandemic faster, right? And there was this massive revenge spending going on. You know, consumers are just buying stuff. I, 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 you know, they come out of this going, I thought I was going to die. Let's blow some money, right? Yeah. Uh, in the case of companies, they were holding their money back. They were scaling down. They got money maybe stored. They're feeling a little good about themselves. So I'm with you. I think, I think the money is finite. And those who, that's why dialing for dollars now, well, you should have started back in, you know, at the beginning of the year, actually. Yep. But really going after customers now is the time to do it. Because again, by the time you, if you wait for the right moment, uh, I, I think you're going to be late. But I think the dollars are finite because I feel, I still think there's some uncertainty and insecurity in the markets. Yeah, I know from myself as a small business perspective, I've, I've told you uh, our ad spend budget for this year. Now, uh, the product really launches at the end of this month. So that has held me back from spending some of our ad budget, right? But I've been, I have been proactively holding that back and I'm getting ready to unleash it. And I don't know if it's conscious uncertainty. Like I, I don't read the news and I go, oh, this is happening, oh, that's happening. The Bitcoin is up, Bitcoin is down, the dollar's this, the dollar's that. I don't, I don't consciously go through all that, but maybe unconsciously, as the UK starts to open up, a lot of the US has opened up, maybe unconsciously my brain is going, hmm. Yeah. Maybe now is the time. Now, this is a terrible I, way to do business yeah, on hunches, I, I, right? Because probably everyone else is doing it. And so the cost of ad spend will, will just go through the roof when I'm trying to spend some money on it. Um, so it's not a good way to do business. But perhaps that's the reason that people are un unconsciously holding back as opposed to using actual data. Myself included. I, I, I like to look at it that you're, you're receiving little signals, consciously or unconsciously, from the market that are going, okay, 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 okay. I think, yep, yeah, oh, yep. Yeah. I think now's the time. Plus, you're launching your new product. What's the new product again? I want people to know about it. Sally Made Simple Academy. You can find, you can sign up to the pre-order <clears throat> list over at salesman.org right now. Gotcha. So the Selling Made Simple, by the way, uh, you got to see what Will has put together on this program. Fantastic. The framework thing is just genius. So, you know, again, if you're in sales, check it out. But I, but I think, so now you got a new product coming out because you're like kind of a big company anyway, right? You've you got new products rolling out. Now you're filling the time now to spend and then boom, you're going to go in there. And the person who's there waiting for you to receive your money because they've been on you, you know, marketing to you, that's the person that's going to get the deal. So a great example. Let me just pull up his name. I'm going to shout him the <clears throat> frick out. Chad, I, I, we've mentioned him. So this is why... This is why great sellers work. This is why pestering people over cold calls does not work. Mm -hmm. Chad, he is an account executive over at rev.com. Like, he's, at, he's pitched, he listened to the show. Let me just read out some of his email. First off, thank you for the way you run your show. I've been listening for years and recommend you to my sales peers in Austin and abroad. Hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing some of this. On episode five of The Social Selling Show, Daniel commented about subtitling video content and you, like, I'm just getting emotional. You expressed interest accordingly. Have you had chance to look into this? So Rev.com does transcriptions. Chad I love Rev. Listens By to the way, the, big I, shout out. And, and we, I've used Rev in the past mm -hmm. um, for, for a bunch of stuff. Chad listened to the podcast and just happened to get the right one where I was talking about subtitling. Reached out with context. Great email. 
and I'm probably going to spend 10 grand of him on subtitles. Now, that might be peanuts for him and his target, but it's, it's big for us to spend on subtitles. And he emailed me today just to follow up, like a, a friendly follow up. He sent me a video um, and he had, a, he had a great point at the end of it. I can't find it right now. Um, but essentially, it was, it was a great point of, oh, I listened to This Week in Sales last week, really enjoyed this bit of this. And then that was the the premise of the follow-up. And then a quick video. I watched the video this morning. It's going to get my cash. I just, just need to be at the right time of the right. year, uh, accounting-wise. And that's how you do it. I can't remember what we were that's talking it. about originally now. But No, no, no. We're, we're talking about that. You know, that what's going to happen now is that your product's ready. Yep. Your marketing dollars are burning going. a hole in your pocket. Yeah. Yep. He's been following up from <laughs> the point where I'm not spending money because we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I'm not spending money on frigging subtitles, thousands, tens of thousands but, of dollars on but it. But you're, by the way, you're not spending money, yep. but he's right there with yep. you. <laughs> and he's going and he's, 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 he's politely reminding me, staying top of mind, doing everything right. Sent me a great two, three minute video going through some of the benefits of, of working with Rev and him. And, um, he, I'll, I'll take the, he offered me a discount on the video. We shouldn't have offered me a discount. He should have used the discount uh, to get me on the phone. I said this to him. Anyway. Come on, Chad, get your act together. I mean, Chad. That one mistake. Come no, on. But he's, come he's got on. the business. He's literally <clears throat> won the business on the basis of he's been, <clears throat> he's been just politely consuming content, sending me insightful emails over the course of, uh, you know, three or four months now. And he's got the business. So I guess the message from all of this, Victor is if you haven't been doing that, you, you maybe you're behind a little bit. Maybe you need to get your finger out. Maybe you need to get your, your ass in gear. And maybe you need to play a little bit of catch up if you haven't been essentially lead nurturing for the past six, 12 months to really come home. Just some people, we talked about last week, some people in the next six months are going to make a freaking fortune. They're going to be crushing their quotas on the back of all the good work that they've done over the past year or so. A, a lot of being goodwill, just <laughs> connecting, connecting and so forth. Yeah. I love that. That's what you're doing. Chad, big shout out. Chad, legend. Okay. Tell us more about sales success, Victor. You know, I came across this article and it's one of those articles you go, okay, okay, I need to come up with something. Let's talk about sales a little bit, a little training. And I saw this here about the five P's of sales. Now, when I see the five P's of sales, immediately I pause, go, what? The five P's of sales. Purpose, precision, personalization, productivity, profitability. Now, basic ones. So let me quote from the article. This is a director at Forrester. Phil Harrell, a vice president group director at Forrester, says in the report, uh, again, I got this off of DestinationCRM.com, and he says in the report that modern buyers will place greater emphasis on companies' social and corporate responsibility and seller candidates. These are people, salespeople looking for a job, will seek more than income when considering job opportunities. My question to you, Will, is how much consideration do customers or even seller candidates, people looking for a sales job, put on social responsibility before making a decision to buy or join a company? What are your thoughts on that? So, okay. I'm so me, baiting you on this one. I'm so baiting you. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be as real uh, as I can. This, I'm not holding back here, right? I would... If the money was great, I would probably work for a company. If you've got evil here on one end of the scale, you've got just charity work on the other where there's zero money, right? With enough money for a short period of time, I would edge towards evil. But if I was, I wouldn't sell, I would not sell helicopters to rogue states. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do uh, kind of, which got like industrial 
complex sales. I wouldn't sell arm. I wouldn't do armed dealing. I just wouldn't. Uh, morally, um, you know, you know, you know your thoughts on like capitalism and if there's a market and all that kind of stuff. I no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, I just want to be clear about this. So, let, like, because I want you to like focus in on what what I'm really asking. So, we, let's talk about the economic term externalities. Externalities okay. is when you when you do something that impacts other people negatively, right? Sure. You don't. We're not talking about that. So, in other words, you wouldn't sell arms to whatever. You wouldn't, you know, sell. Yeah, but that, but that know, all comes back down to this. What this is saying is. And what okay. this is trying to say is, because uh, and it bangs on about millennials, and then it'll be whoever's below millennials will be even more. So we're all this is this kind of article is trying to call us soft, and the fact that we're we're more interested in the environment, and and if you if you have wooden seats rather than plastic seats in your office, you're more likely to get people come working for you. Well, I don't give a shit about any of that stuff as long as I'm not doing something that is that is going to be tied to my conscience, because there is a there's a cost to me of that. Um, I'm, I'm less focused on, again, I'm trying to be real here. I'm less focused on the end result of the, the product being sold or anything like that. But I am concerned about if I feel real shitty about the job I'm doing, it's not worth the extra cash. Now, on the flip side, if, if you've got evil one end and, and do good charity on the other and no cash, lots of cash, uh, being real, I'm probably going to be leaning on the side of more cash because my goal of all this is to retire as early as possible and then perhaps I could make up for lost time or make up for any impact that I've had from that front. So if someone comes to me and says, hey, well, there's two opportunities here. One job, you're gonna re you're gonna really help the you're gonna really help the sea lions. The sea lions are massively gonna benefit from this role. And there's another job where you might kill one sea lion a year. Right. But it's hundred grand more. I'm gonna go sod the sea lion. Yep. I need to look after me, my family. Yep. Yeah, I, you know, I I found this article interesting. This this you go down a rabbit hole with, and I hear what you're saying. I we you and I agree. We're we're in the same boat. What's interesting is that there there there's a sense of arrogance in this article, and I want to highlight this arrogance because we lie to ourselves just a bit too much. For example, everything you laid out completely agree with you a hundred percent, and I think we're trying to say we want to join a company that doesn't negatively impact, you know, the environment. Let's just pick that one. And I'm always like, well, by your very existence, you impact, you know what I mean? In order for you never to impact the environment, you have to not exist. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe me, then you're watching this on social media, on some type of platform using a computer. Guess what? The creation of that computer came from a bunch of capitalists who put a lot of components into it, which probably came from the dirt somewhere, which probably wreaks some type of minor havoc on that environmental space when you're digging for minerals and stuff like that. So everything we do impacts. I think what they really want to say is, I'd love to work for a company. This is what I like to believe the article meant. That I'd like to work for a company. We know we're impacting the environment, but we're trying to find ways to minimize or reduce the impact we have. I think that would have been a more proper but, way of saying it, a more real way of saying it. I think that's bullshit as well, because Apple do this. I've got, I've got a new uh, MacBook <laughs> in front of me, right? Apple, right. like, well, by, I, I don't know the date, but by 2030, mm -hmm. we're going to be carbon mm -hmm. neutral, right? But it's like, we're carbon I don't, neutral I don't believe side. that. I don't believe that. But, what, what, the, the, but one of the premises is to be carbon neutral, to only use, and I think they do only use recycled aluminum on, on the laptop right. chassis and stuff. But we're going to do this. But also, on the other hand, you are mining all kinds of crazy elements yeah. and, and cobalt and stuff. By the way, that comes I, from mines. Was um, you know, I've got to be careful I, what I say wording wise. But there's there's 
people who don't want to work in these places are being forced to work in these places. Sure. It's horrific. So saving seven puppies but killing three doesn't they don't offset each other you can't you either, no, I, you're either I, doing I, good or way, you're doing bad you know what I mean I agree with you because I read that article and I'm like well this isn't like a ledger yeah, plus exactly. and minuses it doesn't work that way right if you just damage the country you just can't say I think I damaged that by I don't know 20 tons of you can't do that so even I read that article I'm like Okay, come on. Now that's BS, right? That, that's bullshit totally, right? Uh, but what I'm talking about is, I guess I'm trying to bring it down to us, the people, individual. This is kind of where I lean towards it a little bit, that if I'm working for a company, but I also feel that they're doing something to try to just help in, in some minute, small way, that would add to my equation. By the way, the money would come first, by the way, and the position and the opportunity. But if they had that little extra something, something, then I think that would help a little bit in making that decision. That's all I'm adding. That's all I'm adding. I'm not saying, you know, you sacrifice yourself, pure altruism, you know, I'll put the company ahead of what my needs are. I'm not saying that. But I think companies that can offer just a little something, for example, if we're donating 5% to, let's say, people here, let's say Goodwill, some source charity, I kind of would like that. That'd be kind of cool. If I can make money and do a little of that, I would love that. So I think, and this is not, a comment on you, this is a comment in the marketplace. I think people like to think that and they say that, but I don't think that's true. To the point, this is my, and this is a belief, not a fact. I, I, you, there's probably data on some of this stuff. That we give salesman.org a fixed percentage of our revenue to charity and I never talk about it. So it could be a whole page on our site because it's 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 almost painful sometimes to see the the money go and you know it's going to a place that needs it multiple charities that we work with and it, well, it's go it's helping people that need it more than what I need it to buy stupid cars yeah. and stuff of course and by the, and by the way when we're, we pay taxes sure yeah. we're giving back I think people don't realize that you know government doesn't make money it takes our money and it creates social programs with those so when people say do you ever give back I said every day I pay taxes I give back if you think about it, there's always a percentage there. Well, so but the the point I was making was I I don't believe again not you the market as a whole that it matters to them even though people say it does or I guess consciously people would assume it would influence them I think it has such little influence that I'm happy to not even tell people about the charity work we do even though it's like substantial amount of cash every quarter goes mm. off to I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree on this one to disagree with you because I think there is a again I don't know how big that weight is when you're waiting a decision, but I believe it does have something. Do you know what I mean? I think it does have something. I think you should give yourself more credit than, you, you know, than you're giving yourself. Because I think if you were to tell that to your employee, they'd be going, oh, that's kind of cool. Knowing that, that's part of your culture, I think that's pretty cool. So I'm giving you more credit, damn it. <laughs> no, okay. more credit. Well, from, from companies doing the right thing, tell us about Amazon. You companies might not be doing, the, best doing the wrong thing. I, my wife highlighted this for me. And let me just read the title. Amazon's controversial hire to fire practice reveals a brutal truth about management by Jason Allen in Apple News. Alton, according to the reporting, uh, the reporting managers at the online retailer intensely hire people that they know they can fire. Here's why. The fact that managers at Amazon might offer someone a job so they can just terminate them isn't even the worst part of the story. Uh, uh, it says, see, managers at Amazon have a target rate for annual turnover. Managers are evaluated, here it comes, based on a metric known as URA, unregretted attrition rate. 
They're expected to lose people either voluntarily or through termination, a specific number of employees every year. If you don't, you're expected to make up for it the next year. I didn't fire enough people. Uh, I'll make that up next year. I'll fire more people. Let me, and so the results is that managers, this is where it goes wrong. This is where unintended consequences get. And let's talk about it. Managers are then hiring people they otherwise wouldn't or shouldn't just so they can later fire them and hit their goal. Now, last statement before we analyze this, because I can see Will's brain. Mm-hmm. You're not watching this on video. His mind is just racing right now going, I don't even know how to attack this one. Oh, I know how to attack it. Go on. Okay. To be fair, Amazon told it, Business Insider that hire to fire is not a policy and goes against Amazon's leadership principles, one of which is hire and develop the best. This from the company's website. Will, what say you? on this topic of hire to fire. So if this wasn't Amazon, if this was, who's a giant company that we can pick on? Who, what's an old school giant company that's dying a death, Victor? Uh, uh, let me see, AT&T. A, this uh, was AT&T, uh, right? I'd be like- <laughs> AT&T's gonna hit me down. Why do you say dying, you say AT&T? <laughs> Victor just lost one of his biggest clients. No, no, by the way, Comcast, yeah. <laughs> let me see, that one go away, Comcast. That's a big company. Okay, so Comcast, fine. Amazon don't tend to make stupid decisions and they tend to be incredibly efficient via data. So when they turn around, and there's bias here because I like Amazon as a company. It's always performed well. It's just a rocket ship, right? Figuratively and with Jeff Bezos and companies, literally. So when they have a metric like this, this is taking one a pessimistic view on it. If you take it from an optimistic view, it's giving hiring managers the ability to let people go, to uh, uh, you know, to, to to encourage turnover when people aren't a right fit, which is probably quite liberating as a manager mm. when you're not getting hounded as a manager by more senior management for having your team being in a shambles because you've got turnover in, within the company itself. Where and, you know, you could t- look at this more positively as well of is attribution rate, does it consider when people get promoted, when people make sideways position with a company? Because Amazon's such a massive beast of a company that you could probably make two or three sideways positions over your career and, and be far better off for it, whether you're going from sales to operations to logistics, whatever it is. Um, so that there's multiple kind of angles you could take at this. And my gut feeling, again, this isn't data-led, but my gut feeling on this is if Amazon have this kind of metric, it's probably because they've got data that suggests that it improves business outcomes. Not necessarily people's happiness in a role. I think that's fair to say. The focus on business outcomes and, and shareholder um, kind of revenue and increasing of, of share price. But they've probably got good data that this is effective at the very least. When I read a, I read a, a different article and I went back to the original article, which was Business Insider, they were more generous with Amazon. There was a lot of if then, but you know, clauses in there as far as why they make certain decisions. So part of this was clickbaity to kind of get you to click on and says, what is Amazon the evil empire doing now? But I think they're well aware of this, but I, I think I just wanted to highlight this because I think this is interesting that uh, when it comes to unintended consequences, let's assume it's real and there's, they're just being evil right now, just hypothetically, right? Then this is a perfect example of when you put something out there, an incentive, a spiff, so to speak, and it just goes negative on you. How's that for a type of callback, right? It, it goes negative on you, the unintended consequence. That's what I, that's what I drew from this, because when I read the details, I go, eh, you're not really being fair to Amazon. 
So it, doesn't, it doesn't seem very Amazon-like to want to hire, mm. ramp up all the costs associated with it, and then fire someone. It seems like a, that seems like a dumb thing to do. It's it's you know a lot of these articles I read lately as we're doing research for the show every week, they're they're clickbaity one. And they're just so extreme in their position. There's no real context. So this article was written from the Business Insider article. And this person, what's his name again? Just to jump on him a little bit. Jason Alton from Apple News really distorted the full picture and just gave you what I thought was just one specific point of view that they wanted to push. And I thought, uh, I'm not buying it. But the full article really gives Amazon a little more credit for what they're actually doing. The, the best example of corporate evil or weirdness just to tie up the kind of the past few posts that we've we've had here victor is and this is the, this is the best example i know of google's original slogan was it google or facebook i think it was google was don't be evil that's correct they removed correct. the slogan yeah it's, I, it's I, I remember that to, they've removed it from all of the corporate <sighs> literature why would I you remember remove that don't be evil unless you're gonna yeah. be evil yeah, I, I never understood that. I, yeah. By the way, Google, if you're listening, you know, CEO, whatever your name is again, you know, why did you remove it? I never understood that. Don't be evil was such a good line. And the only reason that you would remove don't be evil is because, fum, 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 fum. we should have the Star Wars song, <laughs> yeah. the Death Star song coming right now. <laughs> well, with that, we'll wrap up with uh, the final part of Culture Corner here. Because I want to get your opinion on this. And this is, mm. I, I made a, a sensationalized LinkedIn post about this in, in kind of parody because it, it doesn't mm. bother me and it doesn't bother my customers. There's what, a lot of things that don't bother you that bother me, but go ahead. What would be an example, Victor? Of something no, no, that, I'm just messing. I know, I know, but, but you <laughs> no, said it now, I, you can't, you can't no, walk okay, it back, I, mate. I, I said, there's a lot of things that don't bother you that bother me. In other words, you're always saying, that doesn't bother me. I go, well, that kind of bothers me. Like, like the environmental thing. I thought for sure you would be on board with me on that one. Like, of course, it has to have some type of impact on an individual looking to get a job. And I'm bothered by the fact that you don't think that matters, that, that salesman.org. No, I didn't say it didn't aside, I said okay. people, if you studied people and you mm -hmm. offered them to get, to, to go to your point here of that last article mm. was sensationalized, right? Clickbaity. Sure. I try and run on data because I'm, I'm massively aware mm. of how much of an idiot I am. Genuinely, like mm. muscle, knuckle dragging, knuckle dragging, frigging ace, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm completely aware of it's the like, cognitive oh, biases oh, oh, that oh, I have. Data, but, data. <laughs> you know, I, I, the, if you, you can convince me one thing about American politics and I'll listen to something else, about like, Victor's full of shit. And then I'll go back to you and be like, oh, Victor. Victor, this makes all sense. I'm, I'm, I'm massively aware that I can be swung one way or the other. And and I'm, I, th I also think I'm relatively intelligent. So if me as a knuckle-dragging, like, shaven ape is so kind of can swing one way or the other, I like to always go back to to the data. And I can't remember the point yep. I was trying to make then. Massively rambled and totally took us oh, off track. Oh, I, I, no, no. You, yeah, I was talking about how we always, uh, I disagree with you on the point that you don't think that salesman.org donating is important to making a buying decision, whether I should join a company or buying from you. So I think you're wrong. So I think that people think that it makes a real decision versus, <laughs> but I think in reality, if you studied it, and you could do this with a really easy study. You, yeah. you just have to sucker a bunch of people with new job offers. You give one per, you give one person who's tallied up with you know someone similar to them um, one job offer of hey you know this company does really good for the environment. This is you know our company is just pro, is, is is focused on electrification or 
clean nuclear power, or we're going to go to space and colonize Mars because we're, we're on the... All right. we're okay, on the, wait, wait. All right, so so wait, let me finish. If okay, you go, ahead, that, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And then you offered the same or similar kind of, uh, a similar kind of matched up person a job just in a normal company, but you're going to make 100 grand more. They're going to go with that every time. People think that they are socially conscious, but very few people are willing to make sacrifices versus just more money. Okay, let me frame it this way. By the way, I, I can't disagree with that, but you're a little extreme. All things being equal. But things product. aren't equal. You, you're, wait, wait, wait. You're wait, making wait, up wait, a wait, scenario wait. here that doesn't well, exist. Well, well, okay. All things being relatively equal. There's a qualifier. There's relatively, hey, I'm, I'm parsing words here. If everything was relatively equal, okay, I'm a sales guy. I get two offers, just hypothetically speaking. And again, maybe rare. I agree with you. But same salary, same compensation structure, everything's the same. I like that manager, I like that manager. We'll work both. Both are in good markets, right? Both are close to home, location's perfect. Everything all being relatively equal. I think if you added that little spin, that differentiator, that would, it's almost like putting your thumb on the scale on your side just a little bit. That's all I am saying. Would you agree with that at least? I would agree with the thought experiment that you just outlined. I will also agree with the actual reality that I outlined. Because you okay. can say that about anything. You could say, if Evan's basically the same, but I'm willing to give you uh, no, a pound way, extra no, on one side. But, 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 you're by the way, go that way. No, no. You realize I'm a capitalist. So I, I want to make as much money as I can, right? And I'll look for the best opportunity to make as much money as I can. So we both agree on that. What I'm saying is that there might be a situation, that part I think you'll agree with me, that if that no, was a differentiator, agree. you would go. Yes, the, you would. The, that no, if no, that no, was no, a different, no. thought experiment. My thought experiment. That, uh, let me be clear. But I don't agree you with would that agree situation with, you would, occurs. You would agree with the thought experiment. Yes. That if things were relatively equal, having something like that, socially responsible something, would probably tip the scales in that direction. In this thought experiment. Could you at least agree with that? In the, in the thought experiment. In theory. Right. Yeah. In theory, in theory, that's all. That's all. I mean, just be open to just be open to the universe. Be open. Just be open. Well, that, just be open. that was the whole point of the rant. I, I go on data. <laughs> I don't. I know. And so do you. I know you. I know you're I playing think, up here. But yeah, that, I'm messing with you. But yeah, the, I agree with you. That's the point. Okay, so let, let's pull it back to this LinkedIn post. That right. I. I don't know how we started this now. <laughs> but the question is, Victor. Yes. I got called. In a, in a derogatory sense, mm. a quote-unquote, I'm going to do air quotes as I say it, sure. an influencer. Now, this person has no idea who I am and what we do and the content that we produce. So uh, we can put this lady to one side for a second mm. because if she did any bit of research whatsoever, she would have understood um, kind of the, the premise of what I was yeah. talking about in my post that she commented on, that someone asked her to, to jump in on. What was the uh, derogatory piece? That she called me an, inf an influencer. She was basically saying... Or because she's a, she was a sales manager, um, or I'm assuming she's in sales management as as opposed to like sales leadership or anything. Um, she's going, you're an influencer. Your opinions don't count. You're just some schmuck on LinkedIn who hasn't sold anything in twenty years. Hey, go go and write a freaking book. We'll we'll get back in the trenches. And the and... point of contention here was, okay. I was saying cold calling is you know less effective. What we've talked about on on the show a million times. Sure, and sure. her point was was my point re reiterated back she wasn't very it wasn't a very good argument so that that doesn't matter but it was the point that she she called me an influencer in a derogatory tone and then also as in a follow-up post said people like you 
XYZ and, and again, went on to bang people, uh, researchers, scientists, people who kind of make judgments on, on data. So my question to you, Victor, is the sales training industry, multi-billion dollar industry. Most sales trainers aren't frontline salespeople. So you know this, the audience know this. I have a quote over at sales.org. I do all the selling for the ad space of the podcast. So I am proactively still cold calling, cold emailing uh, companies. Obviously, a lot of it is inbound now with the uh, the content that we've built and the, the, the flywheel that's going with our marketing. But can someone like, and I can put, shine the light on me for a second here. I don't, you can give your thoughts on yourself if you want to include yourself in, in this kind of bracket. But someone like me, a quote-unquote influencer, Victor, should I be giving advice to people about something that I'm kind of doing a third of the job? I'm doing a third of my job is selling. Am I am I in the right position as an influencer to give people advice? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 it, yes. I mean, it, it, somebody actually said that to you. I mean, that, that's just the weirdest thing to say. Okay, so this person probably works for a company. Yes or no? Do we know that? Yep. Do they work for a company? The, okay. They work for a content marketing company, which blew my mind. Okay. <laughs> All right. So yeah, there, there, so so any person who works for a company and doesn't tell an influencer they're, they're just, they don't know how to sell, you're an idiot. Here's why. You're working for a company. Go out and build your own company. Go out and build your own company and then tell me you're not selling. See, people who work for a company don't get it that, you know, what it takes to actually build a company, right? Any, by the way, this is why I know it's not another an entrepreneur or a small business owner, because no small business entrepreneurs ever say that to you, because they know we're selling all the time. We're thinking about sales all the time. This person probably collects a salary and maybe gets a little commission on the side, but she doesn't have to market. She doesn't have to do the accounting. She doesn't have to do all the things we have to do to keep this business running. So I always look at the source of the criticism. And in this case, if she works for a company, zero credibility, zero. Yeah. I would move on. And and look, I've I've been clear, and I, yeah. I've said this in the past. There are people out there, and it's becoming mm. less and less common now. There's sure. there's a bunch of when you were a younger fella, mm. Victor, you know, 50, 60 years ago, there, there was a there was a generation of mm. uh, trainers who probably hadn't sold anything for twenty years, who pre-internet could get by by because there's, there's no way to prove what you're saying is right or wrong. Um, I've had sales trainers come in in the jobs that I've worked in in the past. And tell me so much nonsense that they said it with conviction, but I know it wouldn't have worked with the surgeons that I was selling to. It wasn't appropriate for my marketplace. Now there's so many like niche sales training uh, now, and you know I, I focus on complex B two B sales, higher deal sizes, uh, for example. There's so many niche sales trainers now that it if it, it either works or it doesn't. What you're teaching essentially. But I've had sales trainers come in from uh, a generation kind of uh, prior, multiple generations prior that just came out with complete nonsense. So some of what this um, lady was selling, saying might have been appropriate back then. But now, we're in, are, we, are we at a point now? I guess this is where we're coming through now, where, where I'm coming to of where it's so difficult to bullshit on the internet. Now, it's easy to do it, but it's hard to do it over a long period of time because there's reviews. There's, there's people will comment on posts. If you've screwed a load of people over, they're going to come back and comment on every post that you've ever done and make you like a right tool. Are we at the point now where the ability to be a sales trainer and just bullshit is starting to become less of, uh, you know, is that that's less likely to happen? I mean, I guess it is. Uh, yeah, I'm still stuck on the point. If you don't mind me going back to your point, the, the original point, the center point, which is 
I'm having a hard time with this lady saying, uh, calling you an influencer in a derogatory sense. So let's kind of break this down because this person, I don't even know the person, they're pissing me off already. Because, okay, so what is sales? Let's see if we get this right. It is to influence somebody or persuade somebody to maybe buy your product or service. Got it. Okay. Now, you, as in uh, a trainer, expert, are a product. You and I are both products, right? And we get people to try to buy. We try to influence and persuade people to buy our product. Sometimes it's us, the individual, do a workshop speak. So I know what your downloads are, for example, because you shared them with me for your salesman.org podcast, right? I know what your downloads are. I know what your traffic is on YouTube. You don't get that type of influence status by not being able to sell who you are and the content you provide. So how can you not understand? You know what I mean? I don't understand her when she says, you're not in a position to give me advice. When in today's market, everything is what? Social media, podcasts, articles, blogs, so forth and so on. I'm confused as to why, how she even connected those two things and, and made it sound derogatory, said you don't have an opinion. Because how did you reach influencer status? You sold people on ideas to get to the top, to be an influencer. I, so I, I don't get it. I'm, I'm stuck on that yeah. one. I'm just like, my, my, I'm ha- it's it's like a Gordian knot that can't be severed in my head right now. And, and I didn't person- bring this up on the show, but to, to, to bitch mm. and moan about it, I really don't care what people think about uh, what people comment on my posts on LinkedIn. Especially on, oh, no. on YouTube, people posted horrible things about me. Oh, just absolutely yeah. horrendous things. <laughs> so I'm, I'm immune to kind of comments and, and people uh, kind of being nice, but, being but mean, whatever it is. But I thought it was interesting because I'm constantly preaching to my audience and on this show that salespeople need to become known even in tiny micro niches as an expert in their space. Do it, becoming that so, quote unquote thought leader right now is going to be valuable uh, throughout your sales career if you can stick within a kind of in a, some kind of lane. Um, whether it's whether it's the product that you're selling, whether it's the people you're selling to, whether it's the wider marketplace that you're interested in. If you can become an expert, I'm constantly preaching this. So I wanted to bring it up because people are going to have the same experience that I've had of people try and shoot you down when there's no real evidence that you're, you're right or you're wrong here. Um, so I thought it was just an interesting case study from that perspective. On In other point, words, there's haters everywhere. There's yeah. haters everywhere. Yeah. And, and this is this is a perfect example of someone who doesn't understand that today's salesperson is an extension of the company's brand, right? And they themselves now have to become branding experts because in the market today, we've talked about this, products are almost the same, services are almost similar, so the differentiator is the person. The person now creates a brand, a persona online, let's say on LinkedIn, and guess what they become, whether they like it or not, an influencer. So we're all influencers, I said, and the fact that you've gotten a, the, the audience that you have is because you're pretty damn good at it. So maybe she should shut up and listen to you just a little bit. <laughs> she, she, How's that? She, she can do what she likes. It's yeah. irrelevant as the, uh, to my life yeah. as whether she listens or not. Ollie Whitfield, my man, co-host of the Zero to Five Million podcast. He commented. Uh, he works over at uh, Vanilla Soft, our, our, our friendly company over there. And he said that, and I, I think this summed it up perfectly. So we can wrap up the show with this if you like. Ollie said, audience does not equal influencer. Audience equals respected person. Is yeah. that a better way to look at this? Yeah. I mean, by, by the way, yeah, I like that. I actually like that. No, it's hitting me. I, I really like that. I really do. Because I, I think the reason you got that following, it's not because you influenced them. It's because you've built that respect. People love your content. People love the guests you bring on and so forth. I get mad. I'm, I'm being mad for you because I know how hard you've worked and how much work it takes to get there. And if for somebody just kind of go, you don't have an opinion. What? 
In a culture, in a cancel culture of today, where people are all sensitive, basically she just canceled you. Yeah, but no, she canceled me can't. to herself. Loads of people yeah, jumped in on, when I reposted yeah. this and just. I love it. I love it. Know, I they, love they it. They shared their opinions on things. But yeah. I said, I thought it was an interesting case study. You summed this up the best of haters going to hate, right? Haters going to hate, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, anything way, else post- to add? Go on. Sorry. Well, you, you, you posted something in here about uh, Logan Paul and the Mayweather fight. So. <laughs> Are you are you familiar? Do you watch these boxing yeah. matches? These slow well, boxing I, matches that are going I, down. I'm, I'm I'm getting these snippets of this. I guess Logan Paul wants to fight Floyd Mayweather. He's fighting him on is Sunday. The, this Sunday. Oh geez, that's a lot of touch. I have. So they. But wait, didn't Mayweather retire? So we, we might lose all the audience here, but we'll yeah, go through right, it. By, by the way, wait, wait, wait here. Let's let, let's kind of set this up. By the way, audience, this is this weekend sales with Will Barrett and Victor Antonio. If you like to leave right now, you may. But <laughs> this, this is my culture corner. Hang out. <laughs> yeah, we're still in the culture corner. Go yeah. ahead. Logan Paul, uh, massive YouTuber influencer, uh, Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> this, this is the, this, 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 the way, link to the YouTube post influencer. that reading in the show notes this episode of this weekend sales. That was the point. It was I was being um, sarcastic in my post here. Yeah, of being, yeah. I, I'll read the post. I just got called an influencer. The irony hit me hard. For six years, I've been banging the drum that sales experts haven't sold anything in 20 years or holding our industry back. Literally, I've interviewed hundreds, if maybe, maybe not quite a thousand because I've had other experts on the show, but literally hundreds of sales practitioners on the Sales Mentor podcast. I've had a large sales quota. I've managed a team of nine people for the past six years as well. I guess that now I'm an influencer. The only thing left to do is to announce that I'm willing to fight the winner <laughs> of the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather fight, which goes on this weekend. That was the, my yeah. sarcastic post. I love it. I love uh, it. Yeah. I love it. Logan Paul, massive YouTuber influence. He's got a, he's got a really um, he's got a massive podcast. Sometimes it's quite good. Sometimes it's nonsense. Called impulsive, and yeah, he's fighting Floyd Mayweather. It's supposed to be an exhibition fight. I think Floyd Mayweather is going to beat the shit out of him to prove a point. Now it's hilarious when you look at the size difference. Floyd Mayweather. You know, one of the, the last generation, one of the greatest boxers um, of that generation, if not of all time. Amazing defensive boxer. Uh, tiny, tiny man. Uh, By the way, what's the paycheck? Tiny man. Yeah, yeah. Floyd Mathers is a tiny man until he stands on his wallet. Then he's very tall. Well, until you know, he, but, but, until yeah. you can't touch him, he just beats the shit out of you. That's, that's the, the that's difference. It, yeah. yeah. By so the way, what's, what's, the, uh, pay, what's the payday for Mayweather on this one? I don't know, but his uh, Logan Paul has a brother um, called... Uh, Jake Paul. Jake Paul has done a couple that's of fights. That's why I'm confused. Sure. Isn't that... Who's the guy that's at, that does the splits? <laughs> yeah, he falls down, he does the split. Victor. Please, audience, help me out. Yeah. He does the... You're a, supposed uh, to be... I'm supposed to be the, the relatively cool younger fella. I've got me, you know, my shirt open. I've got my cool Worcester t-shirt on. You're supposed to be you know, the, the, the the cooler, you know, uncle Uncle Victor kind of thing. What are you about with the splits? That's the most that? yeah. touch thing. He's a boxer. No, no, no. There's another guy. Oh, wait, let me see. I mean, got it. Now I'm going to bother. By the way, folks, if you look, Logan something. He made it. He became a YouTube star because he does a split thing. Oh, God, I'm going to think about Logan Paul, YouTube. Okay, forget it. Go ahead. I can't find him, guy. Well, oh, somebody's going to know that I'm cool. It, when it answers your question about this. the payday. It's, if not tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. They are going to do insane wow. numbers. Jake Paul fought Ben Askren, a ex-UFC fighter, ex, um, I can't remember what other league he was in, uh, went to the Olympics, a wrestler, and, he, and Jake Paul knocked him out in the first round. I think it was the first round. And Ben Askren said that that was the biggest payday as an athlete he'd ever had, fighting this YouTuber. Mm. So if Ben's making crazy money fighting Jake Paul... Well, Mayweather's Paul, making his brother fighting Mayweather. Mayweather's making crazy bank. Yeah, so good, on them. Nah, good for them. Good for them. 
cool. Well, without shenanigans, and, and Victor <laughs> talking about the splits with the, the Paul brothers and no one knows what's going on. Uh, yeah. Everything we talk about is available at thisweekinsales.com <laughs> if you have a question for us. If you disagree with some of the stuff we brought up in this episode, do let us know. Um, if you don't, if you, we can talk about it. On, if you if you post something, if you share something, we can talk about it. If you don't want to be named, just mention you want to be anonymous. Uh, but any talking points you want to share with us, that is cool. And with that, we'll wrap things up. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder of Salesman.org. That is Victor Antonio, sales freaking legend. And we'll speak with you again next week on This Week in Sales. <laughs>